This is Money Talk. This is James Ross. It's coming up to 18 minutes past eight and we welcome our guests to the show. Very pleased uh, to say uh, hello to Enzio von Heil, uh, von Feil rather, a capital preservation specialist at Financial Shield and Hebi Chan, uh, market analyst, uh, emerging markets at IG. Uh, good morning to both of you. I love the Freudian slip. Morning, James. What did you say, Enzio? I love the Freudian slip, Enzio von Heil. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Listen, welcome uh, both of you. And uh, I guess uh, no surprises uh, there with the Fed announcement. Um, Enzio, was that what you were uh, expecting? Yeah, that's what we've been telling investors really for the past year, that they're not going to be madly slashing rates this year. Um, they have to wait and see. Indeed, Jerome Powell said he we once more just falls in the more dips in the inflation rate of services. Very importantly, James, the core per capita inflation rate is still 45%, about that magic 2%. And the overall per capita inflation rate is still 60% or 30%, I beg your pardon, over the, the magic 2%. So inflation is not out of the woods when they, just for our listeners, when they refer to inflation, they're not referring to what you and I read. They're referring to something called Core Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, which is too much of a mouthful. Hebe, is uh, Jerome Powell charting the right course here, would you say? Well, yes, I think that, as Andrew said, I think this is not a big surprise to the market. I think a little bit surprise for me is that he seems like shutting the door completely for a March cut, um, which is pretty similar to what ECB saying last week. They're saying that this is definitely not the time to talking about the, the topic yet. But it seems like the Paul's turning a little bit of the slightly dovish at the end, saying that it's yet to, yet to be seen. So I think what I feel from that is that even we're seeing that based on last week's inflation or economy data, the stage is set, but it, it feels that they wanted to tick all the boxes until they're moving, moving to the next move. So that cautious sentiment or the driver behind that, I would expect to continue until the next meeting. How far will it continue? Do you think it will go as far as perhaps the summer? Well, I think the key words that what I see from today's statement is they're saying they want the inflation to move sustainably to full percent. And why that's the key point? Because I do see quite a lot of risk there that inflation could potentially sort of play up or the rebounds. One is, as they mentioned, about job market. Another one is oil market, even mentioned, but oil price has been pushing up 10% this month uh, in January already. So I think they will contribute to fit into the uncertainty whether or not the inflation is taking a smooth pass down to 2%. And that's the big issues that we need to look at for the next two months. At this stage, I've already saw the market's been pricing in about 58% for a May and June cut. So I think that will, based on the next inflation data, if they continue to moving down, I'm sure that the percentage there will be keep pushing up. Enzio, are you seeing any uh, positive uh, data or changes on the horizon? No, I think it's a little bit steady as she goes. I think that services inflation will still remain pretty tight. The very simple reason mm. that there's a supply constraint, people just don't want to work our youngsters. And that then feeds mm -hmm. through to less people working. So guess what? They push the wages up. Isn't that surprising? So... Um, I think that that's one area to watch out for. And the other one is, of course, that the food price inflation, 
is going to get racked by things like weather, particularly in the luxury foods area, like truffles and stuff that you probably like. I don't, James. <laughs> um, but there we go. Um, food inflation up, services inflation up still. And also, thirdly, a very important point, if they start cutting now, then if there were to be suddenly some big market mishap and a recession looms or something, the air, the room for the Fed to cut rates further to re-stimulate the economy, of course, also goes down the drain. So I think those are three reasons why I think that they will remain very cautious really throughout the year. And they've also made so many mistakes in the past, they don't want to repeat again. Mm-hmm. Uh, turning to China, uh, Reuters reporting that $17 billion flowed into four China-based ETFs tracking the CSI uh, 300 this year and suggesting perhaps that a rescue operation is underway. Is this part of uh, a government stimulus, do you think? Uh, Hebe, what are you, what are you seeing? I think it's very likely. We what we observed from last week. I feel like it's a bit like a concert play from the Chinese government. They sending out a message first, which is quite unreal that they sort of give uh, us a heads up for the cutting the triple R, and then they following up with the restriction or the shirt selling. So it feels like it's already been planned there. They're trying to boost the market's confidence. They just so trying to avoid a quite short life rebound that we have seen for the past year. So it's a bit different. For a positive side, I think we do see that they're playing a bit of a different game. They're trying to adding up more layers of a support to the market. But of course, I understand from the other perspective that people still have to be concerned about what is the fundamental picture of the Chinese economy. And because that's the main foundation for the market to sustain a longer-term rally, I think the question will continue to be there. But now the market is looking into the Chinese government, the top policymaker, to see what they are going to do next. And um, I also found that sentiment has changed from previously. They believe that the Chinese government need to do something. And now it's more shifting to they must and they will do something. Enzio, what's the fallout from the uh, Evergrande uh, decision by the court in, uh, in Hong Kong earlier this week? Uh, are you seeing much impact from that? I'm not really good on corporates. Let me just, I'll come right back to that. But I just want to build on what Hebe was saying, that I think that the the fundamental problem in China is this party-state capitalism, whereby the party, not the government, the party will increasingly be telling private firms what to do. That then in turn thwarts the job growth machine, which is run by the private sector, and that in turn is going to keep that economy stuck in a rut, if not Japanizing, for the next couple of years. So I view all such band-aids as really like giving an alcoholic some aspirin and hoping that it'll just go away. Mm. It won't. So you don't think anything's going to happen, going to happen any time soon? It's, and uh, investors should stay clear? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. They must absolutely avoid Hong Kong, China. There are other good opportunities in the region, but Hong Kong, China just isn't one of them. I believe that people are looking at China, many people, not all people, are looking at this problem as a cyclical issue. I think it's a structural one of party-state capitalism. It's the ideology which the government rightly or wrongly pursues. I'm just reporting the facts that I read in books or newspapers. And I just think that that's going to keep the economy japanizing for some time. Now, very briefly on Evergrande, I'm not really a corporate guy, as you know, um, but I do think it's very encouraging that they have turned to Hong Kong courts to get this mess sorted out. 
I think they also increasingly see in this disaster that there's always in the darkness there's always an opportunity that the rule of law is very much needed. The more that that uh, goes business-like and goes down more of its own sort of form of capitalism. So I think those are two good good pieces of news, but. Heaven knows what lurks under the surface with Evergrande and other property companies. Hebe might know more about that. I just don't. I'm sorry. Hebe, do you have a view on that? Well, yeah, I think the Evergrande is, is, again, it's not a big surprise. I think this is what we expect is going to happen. It's just been sort of last quite a long time, and it's finally had a decision. But now next one is to see whether Chinese court will recognize that. So based on the history there, so a bit of a background there. So since 2021, the, Chinese, the Hong Kong court has passed on the five similar courses, definitely not in the size of Evergrande, but similar courses to Chinese court. Only two of them, so less than 50%, got recognized um, by the Chinese court. So I think the first step that we investors looking at is what sort of the attitude, what sort of the Chinese court will take in this court. Will they recognize that or they keep it in the limbo and maybe in a bit of the black box of next that will potentially unlock. What my projection for that is, I don't think that this is a good timing. They will sort of moving actively into this issue because they could potentially expose more issues underneath, not just the property sector, but the finance sector. And just at this tricky timing, the Chinese government trying to boost the confidence for the economy, for the stock market. So what I think that will probably downplay the case from a short-term point of view. So very likely we're going to see the case of Evergrande taking not months but years to finally settle. Mm. Uh, NZO, Hong Kong's economy grew 3.2% last year, but the number of negative equity cases uh, is the highest since 2004. It seems like good and bad news. What's your outlook on Hong Kong at the moment? Very gloomy, I'm afraid. I think that, first of all, what I was just rattling on about with China's party-state capitalism is going to affect us because we are, after all, the as I've felt for many, many years, we're the water skier off the back of the Chinese speed or indeed today tugboat. So I don't see there any any growth impetus coming there. Even when the tourists come into Hong Kong from the mainland, you see them milling around the Mandarin Oriental lobby, for instance, or other places. They're really not spending their window shopping. They're not. They're not actually spending because guess what? It's cheaper in Shenzhen. One hears a lot of reverse flows of Hong Kong is going to Shenzhen to shop and just have a good time, basically. I'm also very lost here in this economy because I think that the emphasis being put on the government is a little bit too, we want to be more like China than China itself. And I think that's going to turn a lot of people off who might be thinking of doing businesses in Mm. Hong Kong. This whole issue of mailing summons on jaywalking as if that's the big crime of the century, then very surreptitiously mailing the summons as opposed to just having the guts to get up to the guy and say, you've jaywalked. Um, I think that doesn't instill confidence in the economy. There's so many things that need to be done, housing, um, education, things of this nature, uh, vocational training, that I think there are really bigger fish to fry. That's why I call it fish and chips. Enzio von Feil is Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Thank you very much, Enzio. And also thank you to Hebe Chen, Market Analyst, Emerging Markets at IG. Uh,